Welcome to Tea with PILPG. I'm Paul Williams, the president and founder of the Public International Law and Policy Group, PILPG for short. Today in our series of talks on professional excellence, we will be discussing how to run a meeting. As it is quickly turning into fall, we will be enjoying a cup of sweet apple tea. Joining me today are Emma, Dan, and Stephanie. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Emma? Thanks, Paul. I'm Emma, and I'm a research associate at PLPG, and I'm getting my law degree at the Washington College of Law at American University. Great. Dan? Hi, thanks, Paul. Um, I'm also a research associate at PILPG. Uh, I'm getting my law degree at George Washington University. Stephanie. Hi, I'm Stephanie, and I'm a recent graduate of Columbia Law School, and I am a law fellow at PILPG. Great. I think you will all be perfect subjects for today's talk. The goal of our talk today is to teach you to be the person who is constantly adding value to a meeting, essentially a meeting guru. How to attend and manage a meeting seems like a very fo- pretty focused topic for a professional development podcast. Is it something we should really be focusing our energies on? Yes. Right now, as you're listening to this podcast, there are over one million meetings occurring around the globe. You will spend eight years of your life in meetings. It's a really good time to learn how to be a meeting guru. Meetings, while we oftentimes think of boring, distracting, a waste of time, they can be, unless you or your chairperson or the boss is a meeting guru. But always think about meetings as an opportunity for the face time with your boss and your colleagues, and every meeting as an opportunity to impress and shine in front of your colleagues and in front of your boss. So, when a colleague says, let's have a meeting, what's the first thing you do? In meetings I've had before, we make an agenda. Maybe you want to make a PowerPoint presentation? Yes, but that's not the first thing that you do. Emma? Uh, you want to figure out who's going to be at the meeting? Yes, but that's not the first thing you do. Dan? Maybe send out an email to people that you think might want to be in the meeting? You'll eventually do that. Stephanie? Maybe make handouts? Ask yourself, should we even be having this meeting? There's a culture of meetings. There's a problem. There's a question. Let's have a meeting. Let's sort it out. Let's burn up the company's time. You're already going to spend eight years of your life in meetings. No need to do eight years plus. Some companies actually suffer death by meeting. If the executive team spends too much of its time in a meeting, if the young professionals are spending all of their times in the meetings, this can literally kill a company by eroding its productivity. It can also cost you or your clients a lot of money. If we were not a pro bono law firm, and if we were a fee-for-service law firm, we'd each be billing 500 plus an hour. This podcast would either cost our company or our client $2,000. Now, granted, this is going to be an interesting and enriching experience, but you have to ask yourself if four billable employees are going to be in a room for an hour together, are you really going to add $2,000 worth of value to the firm or to the client before you jump into that meeting? So now that we've decided to have a meeting, or at least to have a podcast about a meeting, what do we do next? Maybe now we send out an email to people that we think should be in the meeting. Well, we could do that. But the next thing is to determine what kind of meeting should it be. 
Oftentimes when people think about a meeting, it's like, right, we have to get together. But oftentimes a meeting could be on a conference call or it could be on a Skype call. Not everything has to be in person. Sometimes you want it to be in person because it's a relationship building and you want that touch point, that what we call sometimes around here a group hug. You want that people coming together and having some FaceTime. Sometimes you want to have a meeting where you want to be able to multitask. If you're on Skype or you're on a conference call, you could multitask on your emails while you're also in a meeting if it's just a logistical or a touch point type of meeting. Okay, now can we have the meeting? Well, yes, but only, Emma, if you can tell me the nature of the meeting that we're going to have. Are we going to have a collaborative meeting or an adversarial meeting? An expert roundtable, hierarchical presentation, relationship group hug, task-oriented, flip chart, working meeting. The nature of your meeting will dictate the venue, where you hold it, the shape of the table, the seating, the level of preparation, the level of participants, many of the things that you, Dan, and Stephanie mentioned early on when I asked what we would do if we would have a meeting. So now that we know the nature of the meeting, now is the time to start the meeting. Well, not yet. And we have to decide where we are going to have our meeting. Well, today's meeting is in a conference room. Yes. Do all meetings happen in conference rooms? No, I don't think so. Sometimes they happen in a conference room. Sometimes they happen at a coffee shop. Sometimes it's your office. Sometimes it's your partner's office. Sometimes it's the office of, of the adversary. Sometimes it's over lunch. Sometimes it's over dinner. You'll want to think about, in order to be a meeting guru, you'll want to think about what it is you want to accomplish at that meeting, the type of, the type of atmosphere that you are trying to create at that meeting, and if there's any leverage or any advantage that you need to or can gain from the venue. And so you'll want to be thoughtful about that before you launch into a meeting. Trick question. How long do meetings last? I, I feel like an hour is pretty standard. Yes. For some unknown reason, the culture around the globe has been, let's have a half an hour or let's have an hour meeting. Whether you have 47 minutes worth of meeting to do or 23 minutes worth of meeting to do, you almost always schedule a 60 or a 30 minute meeting. Time is money. Time is productivity. No need to burn that extra time. One of the tricks of the trade, so to speak, is to schedule a meeting for 25 minutes or a meeting for 45 minutes. It lets people know that you're focused on how much time it's actually going to take to have this meeting, and it lets them know that you've backed up other meetings to that meeting so that you're ending it five minutes early so you can start up the next meeting or get to the next meeting. It's a small little thing, but it shows that you are thoughtful about the time commitment and that you respect the time that they will be committing to this meeting. So now, Stephanie, now what do you do? Make an agenda. Yes, finally, we can get around to Dan's agenda. <laughs> you can make an agenda. Now, what goes into an agenda? The topics to be discussed, Work plans, action plans. So who is responsible for preparing what for the meeting? What purpose does an agenda serve in a meeting? I think part of it is, is letting people know that the meeting will have a purpose and it will have content. It's not, it's not just an arbitrary meeting, but kind of is reassuring to participants. It helps to manage time as well, I think, to 
it helps keep the discussion on task. Yeah, it's a roadmap. It tells people why they're coming to this meeting. It helps them evaluate whether or not it's worth their time, whether it's worth their productivity, um, that they'll be sacrificing their opportunity cost to come to this meeting. It helps them to be prepared. You'd be amazed almost 70% of meetings happen without an agenda. And people show up and they're like, right, so meeting on summer program, meeting on project A, let's have our meeting. But they're not prepared. They haven't thought through what it is that they want to discuss. They don't have strategies. They don't have plans simply because they didn't have an agenda. They didn't have a roadmap. And you're not respecting their time or their ability to prepare. I think that would make it easier for things to get forgotten that you meant to talk about. But since there was no agenda to look and make sure you talked about everything, um, you would remember after the meeting, oh, I forgot to talk about X or Y. And then you have to have another meeting. Yeah, exactly. Eight years plus. Okay. So now we have our venue probably a good coffee shop since we're, or tea, I should say, since this is a, a Tuesday tea. We have, we, have, we have our venue in our conference room. Uh, we have our format, which is over tea. Uh, we have an agenda, which is to talk about becoming a meeting guru. Now what do you do? Have a meeting? Nope, not yet, Emma. We're still not going to have our meeting. Uh, or do we look up the bios of the participants on LinkedIn and circulate to the team? Yes, that's what you do. Probably know your own teammates, but sometimes there's new teammates. You want to know those that you're collaborating with because you're going to want to have a positive collaborative relationship. And if you don't really know their background, where they went to school, where they had their first few jobs, where they're from, it's hard to develop that relationship. If you're going to have an adversarial meeting, you want to know the strengths and the skills of the opposing counsel or those that are sitting across from the table. And certainly if it's a meeting about relationship, if it's a recruiting meeting or a donor meeting with funders or a new partner meeting, you're going to want to know as much as you can about the people around the table before you sit down in that meeting so that you can build and deepen that relationship. If you're sitting in any meeting and you're basically asking people basic questions about themselves, you haven't adequately prepared for that meeting. You won't be a meeting guru, and you won't maximize the utility of that hour of your life that you're going to spend with those people. So let me ask you this question, Stephanie. What time does our 10 a.m. meeting start? 10 a.m. Actually, it doesn't. Emma, what time does our 10 a.m. meeting start? 9.50 a.m. Yes. Show up early to a meeting. No one will notice. No one will care. Show up late to a meeting and every single person in that room notices. Show up late to a meeting with Starbucks in your hand, and that will be the last meeting you have with that employer. Everyone else at that table, if they're waiting five or 10 minutes for you to show up, there's 10 people around the table, they have to wait 10 minutes for you to show up, that's 50 minutes. Now lawyers always round up, so that would be an hour of billable time. That would be $500 that that company has lost waiting for you to show up five minutes late before they were able to start that meeting. Again, we all sort of grab our tea or our caffeine before we head into meetings. It's a, it's a culture, it's a norm here in the United States and pretty much around the globe. Um, but it's also a sign of respect to be there early and to have your caffeine and what you need, your warm beverage, um, before the meeting starts. It also allows for that all-important relationship-building time. Because when you sit down around a table with 10 individuals, it's, you may know the background of the folks around the table because you've researched their bios, you've looked them up on LinkedIn, but you can't always build relationships in a large room. But if you're there 10 or 15 minutes early, someone else is always going to show up 5, 10, 15 minutes early. It gives you a chance to chat them up and to build that relationship. 
And especially if it's an adversarial meeting, you're able to then possibly use that small relationship building time that you had to smooth off some of the rough edges in what might otherwise be a, a controversial meeting. Let me ask you a question. Dan, what is the protocol for checking your wireless device during a meeting? I think as a rule, with some minor exceptions, I would keep it away, out of sight, and not check it, um, unless there's a specific reason if um, we're asked to you know, look at your calendars and tell me when a good date is. Um, if there's a specific reason to look at it, I might, but almost all other times, I would say keep it away. Well, that's mostly correct. There is no protocol for checking your wireless devices in a meeting because you never bring your wireless devices to a meeting. Where you decide to sit in a meeting is important. Stephanie, you're sitting to my left. Why are you sitting there? I didn't really think about it. It was available. Emma, you're sitting to my right. Why are you sitting there? I like the idea of being your right-hand person. That sounds good. Okay. And Dan, you're sitting way across at the other end of the table. Why are you sitting there? Well, I did not show up 10 minutes early to this meeting, uh, and so this was the last seat available. You have given the three answers that just about everyone gives, by and large, except for Emma's answer, when they come to a meeting. They sit where it's available, they sit where there's a view for the window, they sit in the last possible seat, or they might be strategic about it. You should be highly strategic about where you sit around the table. First off, because there's a protocol. As Emma noted, the right-hand seat is the seat that's dedicated to the person who is second in charge to the chairwoman or the chairman who's, who's leading the meeting. Well, I suppose the first thing is you don't sit at the head of the table unless you are the chairwoman who is leading the meeting. Um, and then don't sit in the right-hand seat unless you actually are the right-hand person of, of, the, of the chairperson. Now, the one on the left where, where Stephanie is sitting is an informal position of power. Um, you'll oftentimes see uh, pictures of the, of the Situation Room. Uh, President Obama will be sitting at the head. Uh, Vice President Biden will sit at the right. And then it's the National Security Advisor or the Secretary of State or the Secretary of Defense. Whoever it's appropriate would be the next most powerful person given the topic of what they're discussing. So when you see a snapshot or a picture of the Situation Room, you can actually tell what the topic is generally about by who is sitting to the left. Of the, uh, of the president in that picture. Now, Dan, you're down there at the other end of the table, sort of kitty corner, which we'll get to in a second why that's a, a good place to be. The worst possible place is the seat directly across from the chairperson, because that's the position of an adversary. That's where, if you're going to challenge um, the chairperson, or if it is an adversarial meeting and there's one partner of the firm or the founder of one NGO and another partner of the firm, another NGO, that's where you'd be a direct eye contact across. You don't want to come late with your Starbucks because that'll be the only seat that is left if it's a collaborative or if it's a, a discussion-based or if it's a relationship-based meeting because no one wants to sit in that adversarial position. Now, Dan, you're almost in the most efficient seat. If you scoot just a little bit more to your right or your caddy corner to the rest of the table, you have the most effective position. Because in that position, you can lean in and engage. And because you're at the opposite end of the table, when you speak, all of the eyes turn away from the chairperson to you. You've been able to informally 
gain the center of attention, gain the momentum of the conversation. So if you want to add expert assistance, if you want to move the conversation forward, or even if you do want to challenge the chair, you can lean in, be recognized, speak, and all of the vision, all of the power goes to your end. It sounds like you have more options when you're sitting there as opposed to to the right or the left or squaring off with the chairperson. Yes, you can change your role. Yeah. You can be an expert by leaning in and sharing information or analysis that others might not have. You can swivel your chair around and either fill that blank spot or sit next to the person who might be in the challenge position. Or, and sometimes most important, if you're in the caddy corner position, you can push your chair back and take yourself out of the meeting. If it's supposed to be a, a collaborative meeting among peers and colleagues, but it's beginning to digress into something which is a bit edgy and a bit adversarial, and you're thinking, well, I really don't want to be a part of this meeting, you can't get up and leave. But if you're in that corner position, you can push back, and then you become out of the view, out of the vision of the rest of the individuals around the table. You can also slide around to the neutral side of the table if you want to align yourself with maybe two or three others on the side of a table who are pushing a particular issue, and you can essentially vote with your wheels by sliding your seat around to those individuals and form a bit of a coalition to weigh in on we ought to take path A instead of path B, we ought to invest in this company instead of that company, we ought to take on this client instead of that client. It gives you those options to change the role that you have. The right-hand person can't get up and leave or start wheeling her chair down to the corner. That is noticed. The left-hand person, while it's a little less defined, also can't change their position. And if you're on the sides of the table where there's three, four, five, six people, you're just blurring in with the masses. There's a group on one side. There's a group on the other side. Not everybody can see everybody. You have to really lean far into the table, which becomes highly awkward in order to get, in order to get noticed. So you want to think about where you sit at the table, and you always want to get to the meeting early enough to, one, be able to, to pick that spot, and two, not to be left with a seat not at the table. In almost all meetings, there are fewer spaces at the table, so to speak, than there are people who attend that meeting, and there's always the second row, the intern row, where the interns get stuck, which are off that table. Now, even if you're an intern, you want to get there early enough to get at the table. But the worst possible thing would be to be a law fellow or a counsel or a new hire and get stuck in the intern row because you were busy at Starbucks or at the coffee machine before you came to that meeting. You've been talking about which corner to sit next to or which side of the table to sit on and the head of the table. What if the meeting has a circular table and these things don't really apply? You'll find that in your careers as lawyers, advocates, peace negotiators, the shape and the size of the table is just as important as the things that we've been talking about in terms of preparing for a meeting, where you sit at a meeting, how you engage in a meeting. The table will imply different tones. If you do a circle, it's collaborative. Where does the chairwoman sit? at a round table, anywhere. There's no hierarchy. There's no head of the table. In a table that's a rectangle, there's two positions of power. The chairwoman will sit at one of those positions. But in a horseshoe, there's only one, which means 
there's only one center of power and no one's challenging that center of power. When we do peace negotiations, the mediators will oftentimes do a horseshoe table and the mediators sit at the only head of the table. And one of the tricks that the UN will use is they'll often put a screen for a PowerPoint or a projection at the other space, even if there's nothing to put on that screen, because that keeps the parties from moving a table in to close the horseshoe and make a rectangle and sit there in order to project power vis-a-vis -vis the other two parties. There's also the clover leaf. Oftentimes in negotiations, the, um, the mediators or, or the host will create clover leaf tables around the room in order to break up any sense of hierarchy and to promote relationship building between parties which are, well, oftentimes, quite frankly, at war with one another. But if you're in a clover leaf table, it somehow makes it more potentially more collegial, more relationship oriented. I have a question about maybe a meeting. You mentioned sometimes there's a coffee meeting. What if you go to a coffee shop and you want it to be a relationship building meeting, but there's a small square table. Um, is it best to sit opposite the person you're talking with? It might seem awkward to sit next to them in a coffee shop setting. Yes, you have to be very careful about relationship building meetings and coffee shop and restaurant venues. You should all have in your back pocket four or five coffee shops or coffee locations in Washington, D.C., off the record at the Hay Adams, the, uh, the T-Bar at the Park Hyatt, um, the Regency Hotel. They all have um, environments where you can have a coffee, build a professional relationship, and not be in that awkward position that you are at some of the um, uh, more generic tea shops or, or coffee shops. Um, you also might want to consider a walking meeting spring, summer, fall, relationship building meetings. It's one of these things now where folks like to get out of the office. It shows that you're innovative, that you think out of the box. Uh, it shows that you're not going to multitask, the other person isn't going to multitask, and that you propose a, um, a walking meeting. Look, I have some questions. I want to you know, sort of get to you know, share with you what our company is doing, see if there might be ability to partner with your company. How about we meet at X, Y, and Z, and we do a, a quick walk around you know, Washington is the mall or you know, Lafayette Square, which is near our office. Um, those types of, of clever, young, professional ways of, of building relationships. When you have colleagues and you're attending a large meeting, where do you sit in relation to one another, Stephanie? You sit beside each other. Why do you sit beside each other when you go to a meeting? Because you're from the same organization and you can collaborate during the meeting, discuss if you need to. Are you able to project authority if the three of you are all bunched up together in the middle of the table? I guess not. One of the things that just about every group of young professionals do when they go to a meeting is they sit together. But then you've got three individuals sitting together and you essentially have one voice. Because the chairwoman, when you're having a conversation, be it a, a discussion or collaborative or even slightly adversarial, will not call on three people in a row sitting next to one another. That's not fair, it's not equitable, it's not, it's not balanced. They will draw in questions from around the table. Also, if you're sitting next to one another, you cannot project power by communicating and by strategizing because it's obvious if you turn to the person next to you to chat, 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 how about you raise that point? 
or hey, how about we you know, put this document on the table? Uh, and then they know you're sitting there having your meeting within a meeting, which is disruptive. Whereas if one of you is on, on one side of the table, another one is on the other side of the table, and then someone is in the position of power caddy corner, you can all three have eye contact, you can all three occupy space around the table, and then you can also help to bring into the conversation allies that may be sitting next to you, or you can subtly exclude folks from the meeting who might be sort of adversarial or disruptive or generating cold pricklies into the meeting by using by shifting a chair and using your body to block their ability to see into the rest of the meeting or for other folks to be able to to see them. Very subtle, nothing dramatic, but very subtle. But if you're projecting power in order to promote a positive outcome from the meeting, you want to, in a sense, occupy space and have clear lines of communication with your with your other teammates. Paul, sometimes I go to meetings and they have food there. Should we eat the food? It's free. That's a question, Stephanie, that I frequently get from young professionals. Food is the kiss of death for young professionals at a meeting. Everyone thinks you're coming to the lunchtime meeting for the sandwich or for the pizza. They're probably right. But if you're a meeting guru and you're trying to project a professional ethos that's three to five years above your actual age, you need to be very careful about that. You do what everyone else does, but you do it last. You come to the table or to the, to, the, to, the, to the buffet last. When you're having your sandwich, you eat it with your knife and fork. You'll notice that the chairperson will probably be eating her sandwich with a knife and fork because that allows her to continue to make contact. It allows her to have a conversation and not have her conversation interrupted. Whereas if you're sitting next to the, the young counsel, the young lawyer who's shoving the sandwich in his mouth, you really can't have eye contact with the sandwich in your mouth. You really can't have a conversation with the sandwich in your mouth. And you look like you're at a picnic. So it's awkward. Your parents would be impressed that you're eating your sandwich with a knife and fork. Your peers would think it's a little awkward. But it's what the senior professionals do in order to be able to continue to be engaged in the relationship building or the building momentum or keeping the meeting going while also eating their food. It is awkward. It is unfair. But oftentimes you'll find yourself put in these positions where it's, it's a mesh of a social environment because it involves food and a highly professional environment because it's a meeting at your company, which is task-oriented and task-driven. And never pick up the bag of potato chips. Crinkle, 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 crinkle. Everybody sees you come in five minutes late with the Starbucks. Everybody hears you digging into your bag of potato chips. So if you must have those potato chips, eat them before the meeting starts, grab that bag of potato chips, eat them before the meeting starts, and then put them away. Little things, but your young professionals who are trying to think about how to be meeting gurus, how to add professional years to your life, how to stand out from amongst your peers, so that the senior professionals want to continue to invite you to higher and higher levels of meetings. Every summer associate, every intern gets invited to the orientation meeting, but when they need a note taker, for the board meeting or the partners meeting, they don't invite the 12 new associates, they pick one. They're gonna think of the associate who did a draft of an agenda for the chairperson at an earlier meeting. They're gonna think of the associate or the young, the young professional who um, took the initiative to prepare the LinkedIn bios of those that were attending the meetings. 
And they may even appreciate the young professional who asks the partner of the firm, well, do we actually have to have a meeting in order to accomplish this objective? Or how might we structure the venue and the attendance to accomplish the objective of our meeting? That's the 24-year-old that they're going to invite into the boardroom in order to help facilitate the senior meetings that they're going to be have. That's the young professional that they're going to invite onto the task force. That's the young professional that they're going to take with them on travel, where they'll have meetings with clients and funders and others. Ones that add, ones that multiply value. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to know more, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter or on our website at pilpg.org. If you have a tea or a discussion suggestion, let us know on Twitter with hashtag tea with PILPG. Until next time, this is Tea with PILPG, brewing excellence around the world.